Good day, everybody. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. My name is Mitchell Jolly, and you are? Justin Owens. And who are you, sir? I am Adam Waits. Awesome. It is absolutely fun to have Adam Waits here with us. Adam is actually here today helping Restoration Rome Global Impact uh, do some work um, and putting together some furniture in the medical and the uh, uh, lice clinic actually here. So uh, we have some amazing things that happen. So Adam is in the building and Adam is a sharp dude. So I put Adam on the spot and invited him to come and hang out with Justin and me today on Theology in the Dirt. And so uh, welcome, Adam. We're glad you're here. Thank you, sir. Happy to be here. We are at our amazing studios of Global Impact Restoration Rome. It's really our office, uh, some office space here at Global Impact Restoration Rome. And Theology in the Dirt is brought to you by Global Impact Restoration Rome. And here uh, we do some amazing work in the city of Rome, Georgia, but also in the state of Georgia and Northwest Georgia and the whole state, setting an example and setting a pattern uh, for foster care and adoption services. And so it's an amazing, amazing thing. Um, And so we talk about our DNA uh, of our church, KDSC, Kingdom Disciple Society Church. And that S, society, domains of society, is what's amazing in that our members, um, people who use their jobs, their professions, their skills, um, God has graced us with an amazing fellowship of people uh, who do amazing work in the city. And so this space that you're seeing is a result of our folks engaging their domains of society. And so um, it's absolutely astounding. Global Impact Restoration Rome, if you want to learn more about the work, you can go to restorationrome.org. And you can find out how you can uh, be part, uh, how you can give, but also um, just learn about the need. So we're glad to have Adam here working today, volunteering, giving time. And uh, it's glad to have Justin back. He's been uh, he's also a domain engager in his business. And so, Justin, you've been busy, right? What you've been doing? I've been doing a lot of tax returns. <laughs> a lot of tax I am, returns. I am thankful the deadline has passed. There you go. That's right. It's good to have you back here, and so glad we can get after it. So we're glad you guys are listening, and uh, we begin uh, our time today with our sports hot take. It's been a lot going on. So, uh, Justin, you got us a sports hot take for Theology in the Dirt. Hey, sports, there's a theology behind sports. We have a podcast on that. So if you want to go back to season one, look at our take on sports. That's right. Uh, so my sports hot take is that Tennessee baseball will win the college world series. They are, yeah, Mitch is going to get his wah, wah, wah ready. Here we go. There we go. But you can't argue that Tennessee is not the hottest team in college baseball right now. Um, what about Georgia getting stomped 23 to nine, a couple of, well, that's just one weeks ago, you know, it's a. (laughs) Losing by football scores, but uh, you know Tennessee is okay. pretty hot. The one thing I don't like is uh, they play with some swagger, which is good, but sometimes they cross that line to, hey, that's a little too far. But I think they're going to win the College World Series. A little bit early for that hot take, but I think wow. they'll win the College World Series. That's impressive. I like that. All right, Adam. Do you, I know you're a hometown team guy like me. You love your hometown team. Yes, so sir. What you got? Um. I'm going to talk on the Atlanta Braves today, and my hot take is we're going to win over 100 games, and Matt Olson's going to hit over 40 home runs. Love wow. it. That's I pray that the the God of heaven grants that 
prophecy. It's already been granted. <laughs> awesome, yes. That would be amazing to see that happen. I would love to see the Braves return to a 100-plus win. That's team. Right. I, I agree. I think Matt Olson's uh, the man. Absolutely. I like it. Bye, Freddie. Um, my sports hot take uh, is this, that um, the Atlanta Hawks um, are currently overrated in regard to the talent they have on their roster. That might not be a hot take. That that might be what everybody in the league down is down o two. Yeah, to the heat. I, I feel like Trey Young is our only legitimate, really, really good basketball. I think he's great. There's no number two on this team. No, um, and everybody mm-hmm. else is just average, frankly. And and um, John Collins got paid a lot of money to be average, mm-hmm. and that's the NBA though, I, to some degree. Um, and so I, I think the Hawks have overestimated what they have as talent on this team, and I don't know that maturity is going to help them currently. So I agree. So that makes me sad. Yes. Um, but we got to do some work in the off season. There's some good free agents. There are, but they have they have some salary issues right now. They have to dump. John some Collins salary. is going to leave. Yeah, I trade him, man. Mm-hmm. I'm all for trading John Collins. I like Collins too. It's not that I. Dislike great John guy. Collins. Yeah, he's a great, great team guy. Yeah, absolutely. But he's he needs to go. <laughs> yes. All right. So uh, that's our sports hot takes for the day. Now we're going to move to our segment called Overtime. And this is where we have any theological leftover issues or things we've been talking about, discussing, learning. Uh, we can bring them up, talk about them before we get to our main topic today, which is going to be an email from a listener. So, mm-hmm. Justin, do you have anything for overtime? I think for me, you know, last week was Easter. So the resurrection – uh, I just think the reality and the truth that the resurrection changes everything right. is worth just meditating on for another minute. I mean, it's something we can't get away from. It's it changed our calendar. It changed. It influences the answer to the question we're going to talk about in a little bit of, mm. um, you know, why we meet on the first day of the week, and it you know it it literally changed everything. And if the resurrection didn't happen, nothing Jesus said mattered because he was a liar. If the resurrection did happen, then everything he said was true, and he's God, and so that impacts literally everything that we do and how we think about everything, and our hope for the future. Yeah, we good. engage domains because there's a hope that one day it's going to be restored. Mm. Mm. That's good. I love it. I love it. Adam, do you have anything that's been hanging in your mind theologically that's hanging out there that's like, yeah, that's worth kind of bringing up from the sermon? Whatever. <laughs> I'll I'll go off piggyback off of Justin's uh, comments. Yeah, the the main one that comes to my mind from this past Sunday with uh, Pastor Mitch's sermon um, was the specific uh, item where he talked about how the the gospel is transforming news and um, and how you know the the word of God is powerful enough on its own to transform hearts. And so, therefore, we do not need to put pressure on ourselves um, to, to have the right words, uh, to say it the right way to change the hearts of people. Um, but the Word of God, as he referenced in Romans one sixteen, is powerful enough to save um, and to transform lives. So that is good news. That is good news. Amen. Um, for me, a, a component that I think is worth discovering is probably worth a podcast later on because I think um, I, I would say – 
Um, we would have definitely differing opinions on this issue, but I think it's significant that the Lord chose to reveal himself and his resurrection first to Mary, um, a woman, uh, and she is the first to proclaim the resurrection. She preaches, and I know that people is like, oh, don't use that word in regard to a woman, but she preaches and proclaims the resurrection to the apostles. That's significant on so many levels. And uh, I think the significance of that is worth unpacking. And so for me, um, Jesus uh, does something culturally there to uh, help uh, bring women to the right place of significance for their role uh, as co-laborers with Adam in the garden, uh, taken out of his side, not from under his feet or over his head, but out of his side, um, so that side by side there is an equal role um, not necessarily in the offices of the church, but in the function of the proclamation of the good news. And so I think it's significant there. And so that's worth unpacking. Um, and so I'm going to leave that tidbit hanging for people to go, oh, my gosh, what do you think? Well, I'm not going to tell you what I think. So um, maybe, maybe we'll touch on that in a later podcast. Maybe, that would be worthwhile. It'd definitely be worthwhile. But Jesus, that's not that's easy to overlook the significance of what Jesus did there. Um, I, I think it's worth even noting that he gave them an urgent task, right? It wasn't just like, well, I'm sharing this with you so that you'll be the first and it'll be significant. But like he gave it to her as an urgent message. Go tell them. Yeah, that's right. Now. Yeah. Go tell them. Um, and, and, and for Greek nerds, we can later at some point dive into things we miss in English. Um, on the corner of my desk in there, you'll, you'll find, uh, in that room, you'll find a Greek New Testament and, uh, part of my linguistic studies, uh, part of the concentration in my master's degree was in languages. And so one of the things you miss, uh, in English, cause it just doesn't come out. Um, and, and again, it's not to keep anybody you. Right now with Google and the interwebs, you have access to anything. If you want to know it, you can know it. You don't have to be a language expert. But way back in the day when I was doing my master's degree, our professors would not let us, in in their language, lay down and quit by using electronic resources. They made us learn our vocabulary and grammar. And so we couldn't search. So I had to learn the language. And uh, and, in learning learning that, what I found was in English, uh, some concepts just don't come clearly you know well paul will, will will call he uses the word deacon deaconing to diakonos to speak about the ministry of the word uh the ministry of the word is a deaconing and he even calls the apostolic ministry a deaconing so apostleship meaning being sent pioneer work is a diaconate it's a function of service and so we have a tendency to see Ministries such as preaching, proclaiming, teaching, going first, setting a pattern as uh, something other than service. Paul calls them services. It's a service. It's a ministry, and so it's worth unpacking that language sometimes. In the and so what we find in in the particular language, preach, teach. We find in in the language of the New Testament that word preach is given. There's a task to be given to everybody. Everybody's called to preach. The question is, how does that get fulfilled in the life of the local church and in the mission field and in our city? So it's worth unpacking at some point. So I took us down a road, but it's hanging in my mind. We'll come back to it. Love it. Absolutely. Um, So today we have an email um, from a listener, and here's here's I'm going to read the I'm going to read the email, 
and then we're going to unpack it. Uh, we're going to do our best to answer the question. So uh, I have a broad question with an assumed answer that leads to a specific question, the specific question posed towards uh, the pastor's job. It may take a few questions to get to the main question. It will at least help me to show my line of thinking. Buckle up. Broad question and answer. What is the purpose of the gathering as a church? The church, the body of Christ, gathers to remember and take part in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If that is the purpose, of, uh, then the final question is answered. But to get there, there may be one question left in between. It comes from my short experience, but fairly extensive observation of how people do church. Not my favorite way of mentioning the true glory of God's work through his people, but it is the only way I know to say it right now. A lot of churches have a giant emphasis on evangelism during their gathering. So the middle question adds a question to the first. What is the purpose of gathering? To strengthen the body or grow and add to the body? I'm still confident that the answer to the original question stands, but how am I uh but how but now I'm forced with the latter and it cannot be neglected. It seems the answer is the dreaded both and. I agree, and because the preaching of the gospel is both for the lost and found, we could leave it at both and. Uh, if that is all, then tell me, but I'm not satisfied with that. All right. So uh, I do not think my disdain comes from my struggle with uh, thinking in a platonic way. My displeasure comes from what that specific both and does to the rhythms of the church. The emphasis of evangelism during gatherings typically overrides the care of the body and always threatens the edification of the saints. It pushes them out of what I believe is the purpose of the church, taking the element, sitting under the instruction care of the pastors, and fellowshipping with the rest of God's chosen people. It also makes Sunday the point of the Christian life. Everything revolves around Sunday morning. The gospel is and must be preached to all ears, especially to the ears we so often pray for, the deaf ears of the dead. But I do not think the focus of the gathering of the saints is uh, the place to overlook the saints. Hoping I have not lost you yet. I'll ask the specific question posed to the pastor. Uh, if the purpose of gathering is both strengthen the body and add to the number, can you put a value on each task? Uh, if the thought is part of your preparation, please give a percentage of the focus is here. Example, 50 strengthening, 50 adding. Uh, thank you, men, for everything you do, considering nobody knows 90-plus percent of it. All right, so lots of lots of, to unpack there. Lots to unpack there. So the specific question is, what is the, what is the pastor's job in considering edifying the saints, building up the saints, and evangelism? Um, and so... Um, that makes us ask the question, what is the church? What is the purpose of the church? Because by answering that question, we can then say, well, then what mm -hmm. percentage is given to those two observations mm -hmm. of the gathering? There's a lot there. So um, I'm going to take a break because reading that, I feel like I'm <laughs> yeah. out of breath now. And I'm not, a, I'm not completely out of shape, but I feel like I'm out of breath reading that. Sure. So, Justin, if you want to take a minute, and uh, Adam, be gathering your thoughts. Uh, let's start with what is the nature of the church? What is the church, and what is the church's function? And then we'll we'll get to the specific answer okay, to the question. Because I think we have to answer the question, why do we gather, or what's the purpose of our gathering, before you can answer what's the preacher's job or the pastor's job in the gathering. 
uh, but the church and the nature of the church. So the church is the people of God. We're the gathered, called out ones uh, who make up the community of the kingdom of God. Uh, we're the new family. There's there's various metaphors throughout the New Testament. The body of Christ, the family of God, the the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we are God's people. The church is God's people. What we refer to in our culture of I'm going to church, we mean I'm going to a church service where believers are gathering, where they're going to preach the word and worship God and, and do the other things that you do when you gather as a church. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good place to start is that's, that's what the church is. And then the church is a group of people that gather. Right. And I'll stop there so we don't chase some rabbits. No, it's good. Adam, you have a, what are your thoughts on what Justin just, just, uh, said there about the nature of the church? I'm going to take us down a rabbit hole that I think is super important here in a second. So, and get you guys a response to. Sure. Um, yeah, I like the clarification that Justin said that a lot of people, when they say they're going to church, they're just talking about attending a church service um, versus joining a body of believers um, and the body of Christ. Um, for me, I guess I think my purpose or my definition of the purpose of why we meet on Sunday mornings is uh, what was honestly talked on this past Sunday. It's a celebration of the resurrection of Christ. And it's really a culmination of what the church is doing between Sundays um, as the body and a time for uh, the entire body to be together to worship and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Um, So I I don't know if that really expounds upon what Justin said, but it's just kind of my initial thoughts from, you know, what I think the purpose of why we, we meet together on Sundays. No, that's good. And I think that's the perfect, like, next step. So what we talk about when the church is we gather for those reasons. We yeah. gather because Jesus is resurrected. We gather to worship him together. No, that's that's good. I think uh when I when I come at the what what the church is, I think uh I said this to Adam yesterday, ran into Adam uh and and Stephen at the coffee shop where is the second home of <laughs> Three Rivers Church. Actually, this a gentleman there who runs it, he he operates a business. I see him almost every time I'm in there. His name is Charles. Um, Charles commented to me that I see all your, you guys, people here all the time. He said, that makes me just wonder what it is y'all do. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. That's so I ran awesome. into Stephen and Marco. And one of the things, I, uh, uh, or Stephen and Adam. God, we look just alike. You so. look. Yeah. <laughs> you guys know Marco? Yeah. Um, so I, I, one of the things I said, it's, it's the church is an easy target um, because the church gets judged uh by criteria, not church criteria in the Bible. The church is not supposed to be efficient. The church is not supposed to be really anything other than on mission. The church is sloppy and messy because it's not segregated. It's multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-income. It's so The socioeconomic uh, nature of the church should be so multifaceted that it's complicated. The church is not easy, So, she, but she's an easy target. Um, but who is she? that deserves that kind of that kind of uh leeway and it, it and it's uh, Galatians 6:16 calls the church the Israel of God. So I think that's important here because a key theological question is the role of the church, role of Israel. I mean you go all the way back to the Old Testament, Jacob is called the son of God. Right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob is called my son. 
Israel. He's renamed. He's given the name Israel. And God calls him his son. So when the Lord Jesus comes along and he is called the son of God, that is theologically significant. Jesus is the, here's the, here's the leap, but it's not a big leap. It's, a, it's the biblical narrative. Jesus is the Israel of God. He's the faithful and obedient Israel. He's the faithful son of God. So all the Acts 13, 32, 33 tells us that all these promises God has made, he's fulfilled in Jesus. And so Jesus is the Israel of God. So he's the faithful and obedient Israel. There's nothing in the Old Testament left to be fulfilled. All the scriptures have been fulfilled in Jesus. His resurrection, which is one of the re- another reason the resurrection is significant, and his ascension, all the Bible's fulfilled, which is why the Bible teaches the end times aren't out there. We're in them. The end has come in the middle, which is why Jesus' parables are like, be ready, be ready. The master come back any moment, any moment, because he really literally could come back at any moment because the end's done. God's got nothing left to do. So Jesus now builds his body, the church. So who is the church? The church is the Israel of God. Galatians 6.16 is explicit. So we even state this in our, our, it's a theological statement for Three Rivers Church about the nature of the church. And people disagree on this, and it's fine. It's an open-handed, well, for me it's a closed-fisted issue, but I'll hold it open-handed for other people, and I won't fight or divide over it. But the Israel... Uh, to what extent they enjoy the favor of God as a nation state is up to God. It's not a promise to be kept to them. The promises have been fulfilled in Jesus. He's the He's the faithful Son of God, and the church is the faithful body of Christ, which is the Israel of God. And so I see the church as the people of God, the Israel of God. Um, and so therefore, the church has the same mission he gave Israel. And that mission is to bear witness to the glory of God, Um that he is God and there are no others. There's one God, and, and that God's name is revealed as Jesus. Secondly, um, in doing so, there's a witness to the world. Um, and, and then in that witness to the world, there's a binding of unity and mission because we have one God, one mission, and that one mission unifies us. So those three things to me are huge when we talk about the purpose of the church is mm-hmm. The purpose of the church isn't some add-on to what we have in the Old Testament. It's the same mission God started out in Genesis 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. His glory as the only God uh, on a mission to subdue and fill the earth as co-regents of his, of, of his, and then to be unified. That husband and wife are to be one. They're one flesh. They're on mission together, and they're going. So the church has no different mission or identity. The glory of God as revealed in Jesus Christ mm-hmm on his mission to make that known and therefore do it unified. Mm. And so for me, that's, that, I just, I mean, watching this video here, that's a three and a half minute summary, five minute summary of about 2,500 pages on what the church is. But I don't think it's more complicated than that. And I don't mm. think it's also any more simple than that either. So yeah. I need to take a breather. And I, I think that's a good place to start. So that I think we can all agree that's what the church is mm-hmm. and who the church is. And we're the bride of Christ. We're all those yes. different metaphors. We are God's people. Yeah. And as God's people, we gather on Sunday. Yes. And that goes all the way back to, I think, right after the resurrection, right? Like they began to gather at the beginning of the week. Right. And they would gather throughout the week together. Uh, in big groups, small groups, you see in Acts, the temple courts, house to house. You know, there were big gatherings, there were small gatherings. Mm-hmm. I think the frequency and manner of gatherings changes with what culture you're in. 
right and where you're at in the world and where you're at in time i mean even since i was a kid the rhythm of how frequent you gather where you gather has shifted uh you know from everybody does sunday school to now most people do home groups and, and those things can shift with time right uh but the thing that hasn't shifted is the importance of gathering on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, all denominations, um, except for the Seventh-day Adventists, would gather on Sunday morning. Right. And we don't gather on the Sabbath. It's easy to confuse those two things. And I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of the Sabbath because that's not what this podcast is about. Right. But we don't gather to worship on the Sabbath. We gather to worship on the first day of the week. We gather on Resurrection Day. That's right. We gather because Jesus is alive. Mm. And that's the date that we gather. And I <laughs> thank you. Preach. And so I think that that's an important background to why. And I think the the kind of the sub question here is who is gathering on Sunday because that dictates the preacher's job, right? If we if that's the end question we're going to answer, who's gathering on Sunday? There you go. That's right. It's the saints, right? Um. So I don't want to jump all the way ahead. So I've let you guys throw in other stuff, but I have a distinct passage from the Bible that I think influences how evangelism happens on Sunday and what the role is there. But I don't want to jump. Oh, I like it. Adam, what do you think? What do you think? The next question that I have, I guess, is like whose responsibility it is to evangelize. Um, Because that's, I mean, I think we're maybe getting ahead of ourselves, but um, because, I mean, I don't have my Bibles handy because this is an impromptu uh, interview. And we assume you have it memorized. That's, that's right. That's you know. Yeah, pretty I'm, I'm still working through my reading plan, um, so I haven't memorized it all yet. But yeah, I don't know. I think the the purpose of I don't know. They're kind of like different questions. Like the purpose of us meeting is is to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and you know I believe naturally going through scripture because it's all one story is going to evangelize because it all points to Jesus. And so, you know, and really the work of evangelism to me really is relational. And so that should be in between Sundays um, as the body is meeting in with other members of the body um, to equip us to go out and meet people that don't know Christ and are not a part of the body. It's so. good. I like it. Justin, Amen. you have a scripture. Share so, with us. Cause. So this touches on the, the why and the, and the what of the preacher's task. I think I, Adam said it, couldn't say it any better. If you're preaching the word and we're remembering the resurrection, we're taking communion, we're sharing the gospel, evangelism is happening. Right. But I also don't think that the emphasis is the evangelism that is happening. But Paul talks about to the Corinthian church, he's going through a section on spiritual gifts and prophecy and love and speaking in tongues. And then he, right before he goes into order, my Bible has a subheading, order in church gatherings, uh, which those are not necessarily inspired and in part of the text, but that's where he's going is, you know, having an orderly service. He says, if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he should be convicted by all and called to account by all, and the secrets of his hearts will be revealed. And as a result, he'll fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God really is among you. I was thinking that 
And Same scripture a moment ago. That's awesome. And so they're gathered together. They're prophesying, and we could we could debate and discuss what what that exactly means that they're prophesying. But his encouragement to them is: don't all be speaking in tongues, because then nobody knows what's being said. But if you're all prophesying, you're giving glory to God. You're declaring the word of God to one another. If an outsider comes among you, that's what brings conviction to them. The fact that you're glorifying God to one another, proclaiming his word to each other, and holding each other to account holds them to account. And as a result, the unbeliever falls down face down and says, God really is among you people. Right. Yeah, I love it. I have I have always, and I would say probably from the beginning of being a Christian when I was 20 years old, because what I heard, the message that saved me, was not what I had heard growing up in in the South as the gospel. And I think sometimes we confuse evangelism with being a very, uh, I hate to use the word narrow, but narrow presentation. The gospel is narrow because Jesus is the only way. But the presentation of that was a very narrow strategy of um, presenting Jesus and then a response to Jesus. and um, But that's not what I heard that saved me. There was this guy preaching on the cross and being justified and, um, and, and receiving the Holy Spirit as the down payment of this future promise. And, like this, and this is a 45-minute sermon to a bunch of students about the cross. And I was going, holy cow. This is, I mean, it was literally transforming me in the moment. And what I, what I think when people think evangelism on Sunday morning, they think sermons with that narrow strategic implementation of, here's a little snippet on Jesus. Now I want everybody to believe this and be saved. And so what I think, what I learned from just my being saved and then starting to read the Bible was evangelism was something that's happening anytime you preach the Bible. So if if you're discipling people with an open Bible, the gospel is going out because the whole Bible preaches the gospel. And I think that's part of the misunderstanding often is the gospel has to be preached from like Romans. You know, you get the Roman road, which is good. I love the Roman road. It's a great gospel tactic. But you can also preach the gospel from Genesis 1. You can preach the gospel from Genesis 2. You can preach it from Genesis 3. You can preach it from Leviticus. You can preach it from Leviticus, right? And so that's what the New Testament authors are doing. So I think, I think so, so if we're equipping the saints by preaching from the Bible, evangelism is happening. So if unbelievers come in among us and hear that, they can be saved. But, but in so doing, you're not also ripping off the saints by failing to teach them how to study their Bible. And so I... I so so what percentage do you give for me? It's always been 100% prepare to equip saints with, with not only the content of the Bible, but I hope modeling how to do this for yourself, mm-hmm. which I don't often do that well. Sometimes I, cause I <laughs> uh, the joke is I'm, I preach a long time, and I do. I have a tendency to uh, preach 45 to 50 minutes because I just don't think you can get I don't think you can model how to study your Bible in a 20-minute sermon and give content. Maybe some people better than me do that well, but I feel like I need to not rip people off. When you come on Sunday mornings, I'm going to give you my study. That's why I produce my notes. Like I put notes on the blog, and they're the notes I preach from. It's not a scaled-down version. You get my footnotes. I give it all because I want people to not only hear content, I want them to know how we got there. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. to me, that's as evangelism, that's as much evangelism as a Roman road 
in my humble opinion, but I yeah. could be wrong. No, I love it. I, so I'm 100% to equip saints and then let evangelism happen from that because that's how I got saved. Yeah, I think I would lean that direction too. I think I when I preach, it's it's all about here's the text, what's the text mean? Let me teach that to you. Let me equip you. Yeah. With an understanding that there's going to be somebody in the room that's not saved. Right. And so there's especially when there's passages that are just like a clear explicit gospel call. Right. Saying, "Hey, if you haven't believed this, there's a you can do that today." Right. Uh but it's 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 not tailored towards the fact that there's unbelievers in the room, it's it's yeah. tailored to, yeah. And maybe maybe there's a place on special Sundays where you realize, like, hey, on Easter we're going to be flooded with people who may or may not believe, right? And the message is a it's about the resurrection, it's about the cross, right? There's a lot more easy, explicit gospel evangelism taking place. Like people usually think of it when they think of that word, right? But yeah, when I preach, I lean, yeah, it's yeah. equipping the people that are here that are believers. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> there's such a specific. Um, conversation around evangelism and being, you know, uh, on Sundays and explicitly around like the Romans road type thing, because the body is looking for the pastor, you know, to preach the gospel and save the people that don't know Christ that they bring on Sunday mornings versus uh, spending time with them and discipling them and uh, inviting them into their homes and building a relationship to share the gospel and the way that they live their lives. Um, cause that's messier and takes more time. Um, and yeah. so I think a lot of people focus and emphasize evangelism, you know, and put it on mm. the pastor because they're not really willing to do the work themselves. Mm. I think that's a good, that, th- yeah, that's huge. It, it's easier to invite people to church, which is not wrong. Invite them no, to church. Definitely not. But it is also messier. Like you said, and I, I think, you guys do do this well, actually, to brag on you. You guys invite people into your home. You go play basketball. You're putting together a thing for people to come play volleyball on Tuesday nights to hang out, uh, to put people in the community. And so, but that's messier. It takes more time. Uh, you it's harder invite, to quantify. Yeah, it's harder to measure. Yeah, you can't measure that, right? You can't check that off on our GBC ACP report, like gospel presentations. Well, I don't know because Adam's out there, like. <laughs> seven days a week. I don't know who always shared the gospel with, and I ain't going to ask him to take time to write it down because that's time he could be sharing the gospel with people. So, no. Right? You can't quantify that. And so, uh, yeah, if we're saints all filled with the Spirit, then we all have a task of evangelism. Well, what's that church you mentioned yesterday when you met with Stephen and I that has church seven days a week? And yeah. the purpose of it is to be equipped yes. to go out and do their duties yes. as saints? This is a church in Indonesia, and I'll be careful because this podcast is listened to in some crazy places around the world, so I'm not going to tell names. But this this is a church where uh, they gather or they have gatherings seven days a week so that if people need equipping, they can come and be part of a worship service and hear the word talk. Because when they leave, they go back to the village where they're persecuted and where they may die for the faith, and they need equipping for death. They need to, to be to be reminded death is okay. You're going to be with Jesus when you die, so don't be afraid to die. There's a brother there who has been resurrected to life from being killed, and when he saw the Lord, the Lord told him it's not your time, and the Lord sent him back, raised him from the dead, and his single message to the church there is don't fear death. That's his. The Lord told him, don't you go preach, but you have a single message, don't fear death. And that's his sermon, don't wow. fear death. Mm-hmm. And so they're equipping, I know this brother, Like I, this is real. I'm make, this isn't missionary makeup story to kind of guilt people into doing missions. This is real. I know who this brother is. 
and 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 so it's yeah evangelism happens in the in the village life on life village on village and they come for the gathering in the place where they gather mm-hmm. to be equipped to go back and die right and we don't like to hear that stuff here cuz that don't sell it's not sweet little children's ministry it's not youth ministry it's not nice little come and get your spiritual high ministry it's like be prepared to go die for Jesus cuz it's worth it is that He's the message in the children's ministry? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's radical kids curriculum. No. <laughs> that's, that's, that's real radical yeah, life yeah, kids. That's, that's real radical life. That's real radical kids, right? It's and and so that that's the kind of stuff. When I start telling those stories, I lose my American lens and I get fired up because we're so afraid to do something where I don't get a product for it. We're so afraid of a Christianity that's not. If I lose everything, I gain. Yeah, we we just don't want that. It doesn't sell. Nobody comes to that. It's not pretty. My friend Al Martinello says it's not sexy, and so nobody wants that here mm-hmm. in America. Some people do. I not nobody, but yeah, by and large, yeah. Well, where we're going to be this summer, and you know, we're taking taking brothers and sisters over to work with our brothers and mm-hmm. sisters over uh, in a mountainous region, uh, in a part of the world where the gospel's rare. There's nothing to have there except Jesus. And they may die for Jesus, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And for them, what they give up to meet together, I'm, I'm talking six to eight hours mm-hmm. to try to get together once in a blue moon. We can get together anytime we want. We take it for granted, right? Yeah. And this one this one brother is uh, hitting me up on, uh, on Messenger on Facebook because he heard I'm going to be there, and he wants me to come and, and our team to have dinner with he and his wife. And so we're trying to work that out in our schedule to get by and have dinner with this brother because he'll be the only brother in this village. Mm-hmm. And so when this stuff happens to me, I'm like, listen, I just like forget all of y'all. I'm moving there because they want <laughs> Jesus and they want to gather for encouragement to go share the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then we, we have the luxury of debating whether or not that's doable. Well, we complain the sermon's too long. Yeah, yeah, we complain. You preach too long, man. Man, that's right. Yeah. But if but if the purpose is equipping, yeah, a little bit of length is okay. Yeah, and the frequency of gathering and the importance of gathering changes. Like it, it, it does. really does shift your priorities, yes. and that's where the rubber really meets the road, makes people uncomfortable. Like if it if that's really the purpose of our gathering, right, is to be equipped to love one another, to spur one another on, to yeah. do all those one another's of the New Testament. Then our lives got to revolve around somehow, some manner being together. That's right, uh, and that's going to displace other things in our schedules so right. that we're there. Yeah, uh, if we're at all able to be. Yeah, and there's always exceptions, and there's always you know, everybody likes to ask the question, "Well, what about the person that can't make it, or that's sick, or that you know?" There's exceptions. The general rule Absolutely. should be, "We're going to be there because it's important." Yeah, these brothers and sisters overseas, they're there because it matters. It's, that's right. It's I don't live on bread alone; I live on the word. That's and, right. Um, and the tactics changes. of how you gather, yeah, sure. <laughs> all of it's like, which one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of it. All of it all the time. It's not just the corporate gathering where we come to central place or the small group gathering or the micro gatherings from the small groups. Adam and I were talking about that this morning. It's like even from the small group, the discipling happened person to person in that. That's all of it. Yes. yes. The answer is yes. Yes, all of it. Yes. And it becomes a priority because – the person to person, the person to person in the group, and then the group coming together, celebrating, all that's the model of the New Testament. So the answer is yes. You neg- in Hebrews ten twenty five, you neglect none of it. Yeah. 
you do it all. And, and in doing that for the glory of God, there is an evangelistic nature to it. So it's not so much a both and as much as it is a yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Be on mission. Teach the glory of God from the whole Bible and let the Lord save people. Yep. And it, all of this influences our strategies and tactics as a church. Right, yes. that's how we approach Sunday morning. That's why our life groups are are modeled and function the way that they function, and that's why we believe every believer is the evangelist. Yes, right. You're going to lead your friend to Jesus better than I'm going to lead your friend to Jesus. Right, right. You're opening your home. You're being their friend. You're modeling day to day life of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Right. It's going to be so much more impactful than hey, come here, come here, Mitch, because he's a good talker. He's going to tell you about Jesus, right? And and there was a time and a season where that, that was a very effective in our country of the seeker-sensitive, invite them to church, and that's the primary mode and place of evangelism. But that also has to work itself out in different strategies and tactics of how do you equip the saints. Right. So if the primary focus of Sunday morning is going to be evangelism, your small group life has to look way different. Yeah, Because right. you can't just study the seeker-sensitive message that's preached. You have to study the deep, yeah. deep, deep word in your small groups and you have to have teachers yeah. that are equipped to do that. So, I mean, it, it influences the strategies and tactics yeah. of how the whole church functions. And that's why we function the way we function because we approach it from a yeah. Sunday morning, equip the saints. Right. The revivalist model that typically gets practiced that I think our, that, that our friend was responding to and experiencing in, in church life is a down the stream version of what happened in the 1800s and the early 1900s through the Billy Graham time. What they don't real, what people don't realize historically is the the Whitfields, the Wesleys, and the Billy Grahams weren't weren't just preachers. They attacked social issues. I mean, the Wesleys were ardent abolitionists. And so they worked behind the scenes in the fabric of society, and they had a ministry apart from standing up and preaching the Bible. So when they did stand up and preach a simple gospel message, people were going, okay, let me hear what you have to say. Now, Whitfield's a little bit stickier situation, but Billy Graham, what most people don't know about Billy Graham is that he didn't just have crusades and people show up. Billy Graham was working behind the scenes in some pretty – Places like I, I don't have liberty to share here because of privileged information. I know this guy was working at a government level in the lives of people, serving people, ministering, counseling. Nobody ever saw us. When he stood up on a stage, the reason people in high positions listened to him because what he did in the dark behind closed doors matched the message coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And so today, often, unfortunately, some of us in ministry don't, it's just maintaining an organization. There's not a community presence. And because there's no community presence, we think, well, we just got to get people there to hear the good preacher. Like, no, 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 no. You share the gospel. You preach the good news. And let's all of us have some kind of community presence. Let's get in your restoration realm. Get in your, get in your global impact. Get around the world. Which is, listen, I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox, but this is, what, this is why we're different. This is why our vision matters is because I'm not willing to sell that out just to get big. Because we could get a place, we could have kicking music, we can preach for twenty minutes, and we have a thousand people show up. But will the nations be affected? Will there be more foster kids ministered to? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Probably not. And I'm not interested in that personally. So I'm interested in the glory of God, the mission of the church, <laughs> being all nations, starting with all nations. By the way, it's all nations. It's not start with your city. Right. This is where I get in trouble with our local pastors. 
It's like, well, what do we want to do together? I'm like, let's start with the world. Come on, let's go. I'll take you to Afghanistan, Turkey, India. Let's go. Uh, we got to work our city first. That's not what the Bible says. God starts with the world and works back into the city. That matters to me. Yeah. So you start with the world. Thank you, Bob Roberts, for that. Start with yeah. the world. Get your city. Yep. Start with your city. You probably never leave your city. That's exactly right. Yep. I'm going to shut up now because I'll probably get we've, in trouble. We've deviated from the question. Yeah. Because it leads to other fun places. It leads but. to other fun places. That's right. So it's time for some closing thoughts. And so uh, Justin will let you go first. Adam will let you go. Let you go uh, second. Then I'll I'll uh, we'll get ready to uh, say goodbye to our listeners for this number 45 episode of Theology in the Dirt. So I think we answered the question pretty well, but just to summarize it, I think we would say the church is the people of God. The church gathers for the uh, corporate worship, remembering the resurrection, as Adam has pointed out uh, clearly to us multiple times, and uh, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Mm. And as those things happen, evangelism happens, but the preacher's primary task is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, caring for the saints, ministering to the needs of the saints, and sending them out on mission. Good. I don't know how to come behind that. <laughs> Summarized it pretty well. He did. Uh, I mean, the only, I literally have nothing to add to that specifically because that's everything that I would have said. Um, the only concluding thought I would have is just for everybody to uh, evaluate your heart mm. before coming to church on Sunday and really ask yourself why you're coming and what the purposes of you meeting there is. It's good. Love it. I love it. Well, guys, I'm going to let that be the last word because you guys said it really well. And uh, I'm exceptionally grateful for you guys. I uh, love Theology in the Dirt because um, for all manner of reasons. But one is it's not just professional theologians sitting around having professional conversation. We all have stuff to do. We're in a place where ministry is happening. You're about to go put together some stuff that kids will be ministered to by um, and so our theology is not just in the ivory tower. It's working right here. And so we actually have work to do. we got to get after it. So you guys did awesome. Adam, thanks for uh, being put on the spot and hanging thanks, out man. with us today. Glad it was awesome. Justin, good to have you back. Guys, thanks for listening to Theology in the Dirt. If you have any questions you'd like us to answer, you can email them at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. Go check out restorationroam.org and check out the cool work. Until next time, out. <laughs>